Okay, good evening, everybody. A special thank you to uh, the Rhodes family for sponsoring this evening's shear. It is in honor of the uh, yard site of Mrs. Malky Rhodes' father, David Ben Avram. His neshama should have an aliyah. I did want to quickly make a special mention to Mrs. Chevy Weiss, who came after a 12-hour shift straight from the hospital to the shear. That's not impressive. Shkoyach <laughs> to Mrs. Weiss. And a special thank you, as always, to Torah Anytime for sharing this shear and many others with those who are not able to make it this evening. You take people who are not, not from a religious background, and you bring them to Yerushalayim, and you're about to enter into the Mir Yeshiva. And you're trying to give them some prep, right? Get them in the right mindset. What you're about to see is one of the hubs of spirituality in the Jewish world. You have young men who are devoting their lives to the study of Torah. 13, 14, 15 hours a day with toil, with effort, with sweat, blood, and tears. This is really the epitome of religious experience. This is spirituality. So people are so excited. You have a whole group of people from Taiwan, right? First time seeing the yeshiva. And you open the doors, you walk in, and you see hundreds of people yelling at each other and standing up and screaming. And a guy sitting back in a shtender like this, shaking back and forth. And the, the whole crowd that's with you, they're wondering... This is spirituality? They were, they were assuming we're going to come in, there's going to be incense in the corners and dim, dim lights, people meditating or humming or saying mantras, and these people are fighting, Melchamta Shel Torah. Yet we know that the Torah is very unique. Judaism is not another religion. It's truth. And what we have that is so incredibly different than anything else you'll find in the world is a reverence, is a, is a, a sanctity, and a passion and obsession with learning. Learning is the ultimate religious experience, even more so than davening. What I'd like to do briefly this evening, as we stand really on the threshold of Shavuos, to, uh, I'd like to, to delve in to that infinite world of Limud HaTorah. We're going to see in a few moments, there's a beautiful marshal, a beautiful allegory, that Limud HaTorah, the study of Torah, conceptually is like this beautiful, massive palace with hundreds and hundreds of different rooms. And every time we learn a little more, we get a little bit of a glimpse. We see, we see the greater picture. So this evening I'd like to just peek into a couple of those rooms together, that infinite world of the Limit HaTorah, the study of Torah, something that we try to do as often as possible. What is our obsession with the study of Torah? What is the joy? And why has this been the anchor of Kalal Yisrael and really the source of our survival since the beginning of time? In the beginning of Shira Shirim, Shlomo HaMelech writes, we, Klal Yisrael, turn to Hashem and say, Draw me in, and then we're going to chase after you. 
The king has brought me into his inner chambers. And we will rejoice and be glad together with you. We are going to remember your love. It's sweeter than wine. And that's straighter and, and it's more powerful than anything in the world. Draw me in and we're going to run after you. So Rashi explains this Pasuk. Rashi says, this is really a historical reference to the beginning of our relationship with Hashem when we left Mitzrayim, we left Egypt, and we went into this Midbar and Eretz Lozeruah land without any way, naturally speaking, to survive, but we followed Hashem with a Muna and Bitach, and we had faith and we had confidence. Bezu, then Rashi says an amazing thing. And through this, Odem Hayom, even now, meaning all throughout history, ever since that initial connection, ever since the start of our relationship, we still are rejoicing with you, even though Klal Yisrael has been through a lot, a lot of suffering, a lot of trials and tribulations. Not only have we survived, not only have we, have we kept this relationship with you, Hashem, but mishtashim b'Torah, we've rejoiced in the Torah. V'sham, and there in the Torah, mazkirim dodav miyayin. That's where we remember, that's where it's reinforced within us, your love that's sweeter than wine, umishir avosam oso, and it also strengthens our love for Him. So the way Rashi's understanding this Pasuk and Shirashirim is Klal Yisrael is telling Hashem, we've always loved you, you've always loved us, and all throughout history, we've kept that flame alive. How? Where? Through the Torah. Mishtashim B'Torah, we've rejoiced through the Torah, and through that experience, We've always kept that flame. We've always kept that love. It's never diminished. How in the world does Rashi know that this Pasuk has anything to do with the learning of Torah? All it says, Shlomo HaMelech is telling us that we love you, we rejoice within you. How does Rashi know this has to do with the Limud HaTorah, with the study of Torah? I think the answer is very straightforward. And this is the Yisod Gadol, this is a very fundamental idea. Any time we speak about a real, lasting, meaningful relationship with Hashem, we know that's al yadei the Torah. We know that's through Torah learning. The Ramchal says this in the Derech Hashem. He says, there are many ways of being able to come closer to Hashem. But there's one means that Hashem gave us. This is more powerful. This is more direct. This will take you closer to Hashem than any of the other options that we have. What is that? Talmud HaTorah. It's the study of Torah. This is the, this is the, the linchpin. 
This is the main connection in the relationship between Kalal Yisrael and Kadosh Baruch Hu. How does Rashi know that it's referring to Torah? Because if we're talking about our love to Hashem, it has to be through the Torah. Obviously, there are many ways of, of, of feeling a kurva, feeling the closeness, but the Ramchal tells us Torah is the most powerful. And that's true even for someone who has very little exposure to Torah. Elsewhere in the Derech Hashem, the Ramchal writes, he says, the words of Torah themselves are so incredibly explosive. To the point where I might have nothing to do with Judaism. I don't do the mitzvot. I don't really believe in God. But if I sit down and I'm koveya and I make it something that I do every day and I try to learn I try to understand something from Tanakh, Mishnayis, Gemara. If I do that enough, he quotes the famous Chazal, where Hashem says, Halavai osi ozvu. If only my people would forget about me. You're not feeling so spiritual today. You're questioning my existence. That's okay. Halavai osi ozvu. V'torosi shamoru. Just learn my Torah. Sha'or shabah. Because the light within the Torah, machzirim lamutav, that will bring you back to me. Do whatever you want to do, but learn Torah. That will always bring you home. That light brings us in, it attracts the neshama, no matter how far removed we may be. I have a good friend in Los Angeles, and he grew up non-religious. When he was, I guess, a young 20s, he went to a discovery seminar. And he was very inspired. He was very moved. Arguments were, were somewhat compelling. Very smart guy. And uh, he wanted to get more into things, but the inspiration didn't last for that long. So we had a conversation, and I really encouraged him, get yourself a chavrusa, get a study partner, and learn something together. But I'm not sure if I'm really convinced. I don't know. When I first heard the seminar, and I heard that particular argument and this angle, it, it, it sounded so overwhelming, it was so logical. Now I'm thinking about it more, I'm, I'm just not sure. So I said, I don't care how sure you are, or whether or not you're convinced. Let's get a chavrusa set up, and learn some Torah, and see what happens. He told me years later, it was through that Limit HaTorah. He started off, Chumish Rashi, nothing fancy, Right? Not feel-good Torah. Chumash Rashi. What is the Pasuk saying? What's Rashi bothered by? And how is he understanding the Pasuk? He said it was just that hardcore, raw study of Torah that brought him home. Torah has been a, a, an obsession for Klal Yisrael. It's a famous Gemara in Shabbos that speaks about Rava, that he was sitting there and he was learning and he had his finger under his thigh and it was bleeding. He was so intensely focused on his study, he was maybe pressing it too hard, and you have blood running down your hand, and someone comes over to him, a non-Jewish neighbor, walks in, and says, I'm a Paziza! You guys are so impetuous. Look at you. At Har Sinai, when you stood by the foot of the mountain, you said, Nasev and Ishma. You said, give me whatever you have, Hashem, and then we'll try to understand later. You're impetuous. And I see that coming out in the way you learn Torah. Don't you know your hand is bleeding? Take care of yourself. But Rubber was too engrossed in his studies. 
And there's a famous uh, theme. It's actually on video. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu was going to visit Robovadia. So Bibi walks in with some other people from the Knesset. Bavadia is in his beautiful study, and he's sitting there totally engrossed in his safer. So he waits there respectfully for a few moments, assuming that he would sense that someone's there. And the minute, two minutes, three minutes go by, he is so amazed. He was so involved with the learning, he had no clue that anybody else was there until someone had to tap him on the shoulder. He said, "Oh, Baruch Haba, I'm a Paziza. We're obsessed with learning." The Torah has been our anchor, though, of sanity in an insane world. And we see this all throughout history. David HaMelech was trying to figure out, is Shoal really attempting to kill me? So he had a whole plan with Yonasan, his good friend. And it turns out that at first they felt that Shoal said, I'm never going to touch him, and therefore we're safe to come back to the palace. David goes back, and he plays his harp for Shoal. But then Shoal is, is taken over by this Ruach Ra, and he takes his spear and he throws it at David. Seems like it's trying to kill him. David runs away. Where does he go? The Pasuk tells us, V'david barach v'yemalet, he ran away and he escaped. Vayavu el Shmuel haRamasa, and he went to Shmuel the prophet in Rama. Vayagid lo es kol lo and he shared with him everything that Shol was trying to do. He was pursuing him. Vayelechu Shmuel vayeshvu benoyos. So him and Shmuel went together, and they sat down in Noyos. What did they do? So you would assume they're probably talking politics. What are we going to do about King Saul? Oyvezmir, he's really trying to kill you. What does that mean for the future? You've already anointed me as the next king of Israel. They didn't waste time with that stuff. That's Narishkai. That's kids' play. What did they do? Says the Yalkut Shmoni. Ravuna Brebiosi Omar, Oso Halayla Shebarach David Milifnei Shol. That night that David ran away from Shol. Lomod mishmul hanavi, masha'ein talmud vasik lomod b'meyashana. He was able to learn from Shmuel hanavi more than the greatest student would learn in a hundred years. It was a night of emelus. It was a night of toiling in Torah. That's what they did. They didn't waste time with politics. They were learning. Why were they learning at a time like this? The answer is because that's exactly the time when you need real. <laughs> there is a, a Shaila question that came up in the Warsaw Ghetto. You had a group of Bachrim, of young men who were yeshiva students, and <coughs> besides starving, they were starving spiritually. They had no Gemara, they had nothing to learn from, they had no Mishnayas. So one of the young men had a chap, he had an idea. Said so the one thing that at least at that point the, the Germans were allowing into the ghetto were baskets with some food. And the custom was they would take cheese and wrap it up in some kind of parchment paper or something like that. So they had the thought, if we send word outside the ghetto and we tell our chaverim, our friends who are not here, if you could wrap the piece of cheese in a blat gemorrah, 
take a page of Gemara and wrap the cheese in it, put it with other things in the basket. They're not going to realize it's a black Gemara. It's wrapping paper for the cheese. That way, you could bring it in and we could learn that blot. And then next time you send food, you'll send the next blot, the next page. And that way, Mr. Shem, over weeks, we could go through many pages of Gemara. We could learn something. We're starving over here, physically and spiritually. Their only question was, maybe that's not appropriate. Maybe it's a bizillion, it's a disgrace. Take a page of Gemara and wrap it up like that and over cheese. So maybe it's usr. The answer they received was that we know for pikuach nefesh, when your life is on the line, you're allowed to do a lav. You're allowed to do something that is officially prohibited. What's the prohibition of taking a Gemara and doing something that's mavaza, that's disgracing it? It's a lav. It's disrespecting it. Might not be a real lav, but it's, it's not nice. But in this case, you have pikuach nefesh. Because for people who are accustomed to learning, to be deprived from that, to be living in a void of, of the study of Torah, that itself is a sakanas nefashos. Your life is in danger. Your spiritual existence is in danger. And therefore, not only is it mutter to do, but it's a mitzvah to do. Wrap the cheese in a page of Gemara. You read the stories about Rav and Wasserman, the stories about other gedolim, as they're going together with their students, trying to flee from the Nazis. The first-hand account from what Rav Chonon Wasserman told his students as they're fleeing from the Nazis, he says to them, We're standing in an overwhelming situation. And I can't tell you what the future will bring. But there's one thing I can tell you. Strengthen yourselves in the learning of Torah. The Torah is called the tree of life. The Torah is the only thing in the world that could bring us life. Furthermore, he told his students, the Torah is called O's. It's referred to as strength. Only from the Torah, only through our connection with the learning of Torah, can we draw forth from that the strength to keep on going. This will give us eternal life. I don't know if we're going to have life in this world, or for how much longer, but I do know that our relationship, our engagement in the Torah, will give us eternal life. Rabbi Yaakov Hendel, one of the gedolim of the time who perished in the Holocaust, they found after the war a tractate of Gemara. It was Nadarim Nazir Sota. And in the beginning of the tractate, he writes as follows. He says, Ha'pam odel Hashem b'chiflayim, I thank Hashem. This is now my second time that I'm able to start going through Shas. I finished Shas before, and now this is my second time. And I'm going to start by learning Nidarim. And he says, Hashem, you should be with me to help me complete the Mesechta, and I should be privileged to see miracles and wonders. At the very end of the Mesechta, he writes as follows, Baruch Hashem, avakesh slicha mi I do ask forgiveness from the Creator of the world. 
Devarim Hayotze Milev Nishbar Vakoev, what I'm writing now are words coming out from a broken heart. I ask that the Creator should forgive me. For not being able to keep up with my usual doing one blot every day. Like I was accustomed to do so beforehand. It's not based on anything malicious. There were things obviously well above and beyond my control. But this was the mindset. This was where their minds were. Right? Their, their, whole, their whole orientation of life was with one central focus. How can we get some more learning in? How can we learn well? How can we learn consistently? It's been our anchor of sanity in an insane world. That's true nationally, and it's also true personally. It's a beautiful letter I found from the Nitziv, Rav Naftali Tzvi Yehuda Berlin, where he writes to a person who just lost his wife. It sounds like he was a, an Adam Gadol, a very prestigious rabbi, whose wife passed away, and he's trying to give him words of comfort. So he says, I understand, and I want to bring the Chama, I want to comfort you on the loss of your wife, Eishis Ne'urov, Aleha Shalom. V'yofa osa malascha kavodcha, it sounds like in order for him to deal with his pain and his loss, he was trying to publish his writings. He had manuscripts, he had chedushim, and he wanted to now publish them. So the Tziv says that's a wonderful idea. Why? Because ha'esik va'iyun mishra simcha bracha v'tova v'sholem ha'nemar b'isha. The same bracha, the same blessing he was able to have well married to his wife, he should hopefully get that through the Torah. Not just any learning, but asik v'iyun. Learning in depth, learning well. That should hopefully give you that same sense of satisfaction, that, that same sense of security as you had when your wife was alive, and Hashem should grant you nechama. Personally and nationally, the Torah has been our go-to for comfort. Rabbi Yoshev, after his daughter passed away, right? Rebetzin Kanievsky, Rebetzin Batsheva Kanievsky, a great Sadekis. So Chaim was obviously very distraught. And Rabbi Yashiv told him, the only Eitzah, right? the only suggestion I can give you for how to keep on moving on after losing your wife of so many years is Lule Suroscha Shashuai just think of the words of David HaMelech. David said to Hashem, without your words of Torah that I rejoice in, I would be lost. Rabbi Yoshev told his son-in-law, the great Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky, this is the only Eitzah we have as a nation. Keep your connection to Torah strong. That'll bring some level of nechama. That'll bring some level of comfort. <clears throat> Torah has also been our source of cheirus our source of freedom. We know that there are four expressions of freedom, famously, in the beginning of Parshas Vayera, Hashem says, I'm going to take you out. I'm going to save you. I'm going to redeem you. All referring to different stages of that process. And last but not least, and I will take you to me as a nation. That's the fourth and final stage of redemption. 
What is that a reference to? Explains the Ramban and the Svorno. The Lekachti is Maimid Harsinai. When I take the Jewish people out of Mitzrayim and I bring them to Harsinai and I give them the Torah, once you accept the Torah, then you're officially free. That's the Cherus Amiti, that's the true liberation. And it's not just the Torah as a lifestyle or the mitzvos, but it's the learning of Torah itself. The famous Mishnah in Perkyavos. She'ein l'cha ben-charen elamish osik Torah. The only way you could truly be living a free, liberated existence is if you're osik b'talmud Torah. Is if you're learning and you're engaged in the study of Torah. Then it says, v'chol misha osik b'talmud Torah, anyone who lives like this, if this is your lifestyle, hareze mis'ala, that will uplift you. That will allow you to transcend. So what's the freedom of Torah? We're about to celebrate Matan Torah, and we don't usually look at it from this perspective. This is the last step, or the final step, this is the completion of the Cherus process. Now we're officially liberated. What is the freedom of Torah, and how do we achieve that through being osake in the learning of Torah? The Medrash Shmuel says, Why are you called free when you're engaged in learning? Because the neshama, right, the essence of who I really am, is no longer subjugated to the body. It's to the contrary. Now the neshama is captain. I can live a life where the neshama is free and it's radiating spirituality and the guf is now secondary. If we allow ourselves to be totally obsessed and, and, and engaged and, and influenced by the material world, that is the worst, most decrepit form of slavery. Then it's just your body. It's the animal leading the way with you as the essence, you the neshama, having no say. That's slavery. When you're osig b'torah, when that becomes your lifestyle, it's mis'aleh, it uplifts you, and now you're free. The, the words of the Chazonish, when he speaks about what happens to a person when he learns Torah. Right? It's not just gaining knowledge. It's transformative. Listen to these words of the Chazanish. He has a short letter. He says, Iker Segulas HaTorah. The main thrust, the magic of Torah, is Lahavi Es HaAdam Laromamus Ilah. It's able to uplift a person to the highest madregas. Ulahakir Chovaso Ba'olamo. And to recognize one's obligation in the world with more clarity than he ever had before. Ba'al Yedei, where does that come from? Amala Shel Torah, through putting effort into the learning of Torah. V'kol Adam Mosef B'yigiyoso, and the more, I, uh, more power, the more strength I put into the learning and trying to understand and pacing and grappling with it and going back and forth with the Chavrusa, the more I pour my neshama into the learning, I'm cutting off the ropes of the Yetzirah. I'm disconnecting myself from the physical world. 
and I no longer have an interest. I'm not distracted by all of the, the addictions of the outside world. And I become a human being where my sole delight is spirituality. Now I'm sure when the Chazanish wrote these words, he was very much speaking about his own experience. But this is what it's possible to attain through being osik in Torah. It's liberating, it's the, the most complete form of freedom. Torah has also been the source of the greatest joy and satisfaction throughout history. There's a very famous Orachayim where he describes the simcha of learning Torah. This is based on the Pasuk in Parshish Kisavo. hatov, you will rejoice with all of the good. Explains the Orachayim. Ain tov ele Torah. When the Torah says good, it's referring to Torah. If we would only be able to tap in to the sweetness and the delicious, the geschmack taste of Torah, we would become almost insane and we'd be chasing after it. Everything else in the world becomes secondary, becomes worthless. All of the good that we're looking for, we all want to be happy, we all want to feel satisfied. Where do you find that? Says the Orachayim, and the Torah itself, if we only understood how sweet it really was, we would want to do nothing more and rejoice in the learning of Torah. <clears throat> David HaMelech expresses this idea in Tehillim. Right? The mitzvahs of Torah are yasha, they're straight, they're right, they're true, and therefore, they bring joy to the heart. Why do they bring joy? For the same reason they bring liberation. For the same reason the Torah brings freedom. The Radak says, it's that ability to transcend it's that ability to get more in tune with the essence of who I am, my neshama, and not, not to be held down by the guf. That's the source of the freedom. That's the source of the joy as well. I remember when I was in Eretz Yisrael from a year after high school. So we had the opportunity to see many gedolim. And at the time, I feel bad looking, looking back at it. I didn't have the, the proper appreciation of who these people were. I still don't. But at least if you knew something about who the, the Gadol was, you've read some of his svarim before, you would have more of an awe and more of a reverence. But the thing that struck me the most is that you'd go to these people's homes, Mishalayim or B'nai Brak, and they were not living the life of luxury. You walk in to the entire apartment has maybe three rooms, and for some reason they always slept in the kitchen, <laughs> right? The beds are right there in the refrigerator. And many of them, many of the gedolim I was able to, to see and get brachos from, they were already very old at the time, but they all had one common thread. They were mole simcha. They were filled with joy. It was that, that radiance of the neshama that was just exploding out of them. They might not be able to move that well. They might not be able to speak that well. 
but you saw that inner sense of satisfaction. There's a sipuk hanefesh, there's a simcha sachayim. It's coming from this reality that I transform myself, I become a different human being through my involvement in Torah study. Rav Nassim Svi Finkel, the great Rosh Hashiva of the Mir, we know his story that he traveled, he was born and raised in Chicago, went to a co-ed high school, but uh, Rav Lazer Yudel Finkel, who was with Shiva of Mir at the time, he really wanted to get him to learn in the yeshiva. He tried to get him after 11th grade, but his parents said, you really have to finish up high school. But after 12th grade, he did everything he possibly could to get Nassim Svi into the yeshiva. So finally he arrives after graduating high school, and he's staying in the house of the illustrious Rosh Hashiva, of Lazer Yudel Finkel. The morning time, Nassim Svi is laying in his bed, and he hears something happening downstairs. He's curious. He looks at his watch. It's four in the morning. He gets up. It's still pitch black. And he walks to the corner, and he looks down, and he sees a blazer Yudel, who just woke up himself for the day, takes his entire shas, right? puts his hands around it, hugs it, and kisses it. That's the way he would start the day. Right? Having, coming from Chicago and now being in the, in, in the center of Ruchnius with one of the greatest human beings on the planet and seeing that Masika, seeing how sweet the Torah was to them, imagine how that transformed him forever. Imagine how that was able to give him that, that guiding light to become the person he eventually became. The problem is, and somebody expressed this to me one time. He said, when I was growing up, and I was in sixth and seventh grade, and the Rebbe would always try to get us into the learning, and he would say words like, Geschmack. Isn't this Geschmack? Isn't this exciting? And I'd be sitting there bored out of my mind, thinking to myself, no, I'd rather be doing almost anything else right now than sitting in your class. Now, obviously, as we mature, we're able to sit for longer, sometimes. The problem is, intellectually, we understand Torah is the Eitz Chaim. Torah is the anchor. Torah could be a source of freedom, and it could be a source of, of great Simcha Sechayim. But I've tried many times, and I'm just not feeling it. So this young man expressed whenever his Rebbe would try to get them into the learning by saying how geschmack it is, he would just feel resentful. Why are you telling me it's geschmack? It's not for me. So I do think parenthetically we have to be careful. Because when we say Torah is sweet, it's not sweet naturally. It's a developed taste. You have to become a connoisseur. Right? Torah is compared to water. Chafetz Chaim famously said, why is Torah compared to water? How about Dr. Pepper, right? That's a nice beverage. Why is Torah compared to water? So we quoted the Mishnah and Brachos, the famous halacha, that on any other drink, if you want to have a tiny sip, even if you're not thirsty, but I want to take some oranges to get down a pill, you make a shahakal, because there's a taste. When it comes to water, the only time you make a bracha on shahakal is when you're thirsty. When you're thirsty, and when you're extremely dehydrated, Dr. Pepper is not going to do it for you. 
There is nothing else in the world besides just a good, cold glass of fresh water. But you have to be thirsty. Right, in Mishlei, Shlomo HaMelech writes, Nefesh Saveya Tovos Nofes. If you're satiated, even the sweetest honey in the world, it's not going to look good. It's not going to tempt you. V'nefesh re'eva, but one who's hungry, kol mar mosuk. Even if something's bitter, it becomes sweet, because I want it so bad. Right? The old saying goes, the steak is only as good as the appetite. If I'm hungry for something, then I'll enjoy it. But if I don't have that, that, that thirst or hunger or desire, then I'll take a drink of water, but I'm not going to make a bracha, because I'm not thirsty. How do we get thirsty? Right. How do we get thirsty? So I think there are two points here, and with this I'd like to conclude. But this is really halakha lemaisa, practically speaking, how do we tap into some of these lofty ideals of chayrus and simcha? The first thing we have to do is recognize why we might not allow ourselves to really be amo to really exert effort in the study of Torah. What's holding me back? We all come from different backgrounds. You'll have someone who was in yeshiva for many years. And in yeshiva, for many people, they were very idealistic. And and they had uh, great aspirations of becoming something very special in the world of Torah. And now they're out of yeshiva. And either they're working as a Rebbe or a Rav or in Kiruv, or they're working as an accountant or anything else in the world. And I don't have that same passion. I'm not in that world anymore. I, I don't have that dream of becoming the next Rosh Yeshiva. That's not my destiny. That's not what Hashem has in mind for me. So it's harder to feel that drive. What's pushing me? Let's say I never went to Yeshiva before. I don't have any of that background. I'm about Tshuva when I'm 40. So I enjoy learning, but what difference does it make to really push myself? What am I going to accomplish? I'm not going to be teaching the masses. That's holding us back. It's thinking that our amelus, our effort, doesn't really accomplish anything. What I want to share with you is Tiferes Yisrael. Tiferes Yisrael, his commentary in the Mishnah, the Mishnah Avo says, anyone who learns with sincerity, is source number 19, right? he uplifts himself. And like we explained, it's that transcendence that's the source of the freedom and the simcha sechaim and the joy in life. Says the Tferes Yisrael, Shalotom lav kol adam Torah. One should not say, listen, not everyone can make it big. Not everyone could acquire the crown of Torah. I need two basic factors. I have to have a seichel gadol. I have to be smart. I have to be naturally talented. And I have to be learning all the time. That might hold you back from trying. Therefore, the Mishnah says, Anyone, no matter how much time you have during the day, I might only have, realistically speaking, a half hour to do any real learning. And I might not have a background. And I might not be able to read Hebrew that well. 
But kol ha'oseg b'torah if you learn with sincerity, and I'm not just doing it casually, but I'm doing it with a malus, I'm pouring my heart into it, I want to understand the, the Rashi. I want to do the Aliyah of the day and do it well. I want to do the Mishnah and understand what the Mishnah is saying. I want to do my part of Daf HaShavua and really get it and chazer it and understand what Rashi is saying. And if I have a chance, I can look at Tosvos and we can ask the question, what's the machlokus between Rashi and Tosvos? Kol Adam, anyone in the world who does that, misala, you're uplifting yourself, you're transcending. You become this, this, this Adam Gadol. The person who's living the cheros and the simcha sechayim, that becomes you. So don't let that thought of, well, I'm not going to make it big, ever stop you from pouring in the amelis, because making it big is defined and only defined based on how much am I trying with the time, with the energy, and the brain capacity that I have. Now, oftentimes we might have more time than we think we do, right? But that's the definition of success when it comes to learning Torah. That's one thing to keep in mind. The second point, <clears throat> second point, it's not sweet. I'm not enjoying it. It's tedious. And at the beginning, it could be a grind. Cesar Aaron Cutler, quoting from Rashi in uh, Parshas Yisro, Im Hashem says to Klal Yisro, if you're mekabel, if you accept upon yourself the, the responsibility of learning, which means I'm going to keep on pushing. I'm not going to set my ceiling low. I'm not going to sell myself short. And even though right now it may not be enjoyable, but I'm accepting upon myself the achrayas, the responsibility for learning daily and diligently with consistency. Mikan ve'elech. It will become sweet. As you keep on doing it, it will become sweeter and sweeter. And to the contrary, he says something very deep. If you keep on learning only the prokim now and again, but never making it something that's set, you're not koveya itim, you're not setting time for learning, it will always be a burden. And the analogy, I think, of working out is a very, very apropos one. If you always work out a little bit here and there trying to lift weights, it will always be torturous. If you realize, you know what? I want to be healthy. And the only way to do that is to be consistent with my workout. Then it will be torture in the beginning. However, Yerav lechem mikan ve'elach. Once I'm getting in shape, I can actually appreciate this. Someone who ran marathons, my brother, he ran three marathons. I haven't run three yet. He told me that the last mile, right? Mile 26. He says, you're, 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 you're schwitzing, you could barely move, but that last mile, you get this adrenaline where you could barely feel your legs and you're just pushing and you're running faster at that moment than you ran the entire marathon. Because now you're so in the zone, it doesn't bother you, but you could actually appreciate it. Velorak Shiyoko Yoser explains of Aaron Cutler, not only will it become easier, elegam yerev lechem, but it will become sweeter. Because objectively, intrinsically, Torah is sweet. You have to be thirsty. Sometimes the way to get thirsty is by just doing it. 
and doing it well, with consistency. That's how you get thirsty, and then it starts really tasting good. Chaim Velazhin in the Ruach Chaim, he elaborates upon this theme in source number 21. He says, The more we learn, the more we want to continue learning. I get to the point where I wish I didn't have to go to sleep. I wish I didn't have to take time now and eat lunch. Why do I have to be human? It's taking me away from the Gemara. But my whole life becomes this constant quest. It becomes an obsession to drink with thirst the words of the Kaddish Baruch Hu, And then that's when he gives this beautiful mashal. He says, Torah is like adding a little bit of light into the darkness of our existence. And the more light I have, the more I see, wow, there's a whole new world over here. And I open this door, I walk into the palace, and from the outside I didn't see much, or learning something superficially, I didn't, I didn't understand how rich it really was. And then I walk in and I see there's all these different rooms and chambers, and it gets more and more beautiful. That's the world of Torah if we allow ourselves to experience it. Last, we have the stipler. Stipler Gon writes in a letter also addressing this issue to a young man who was learning in yeshiva and he was not getting that, that sweetness, not feeling that kishmak of Torah. He writes, Iker ha my, my best piece of advice to you, lahasig ne'imus ha-Torah, to finally get a little bit of that sweetness of Torah, hu havanasa amuka, is through deep understanding. Don't allow yourself to learn superficially. Don't allow yourself to just smear something and somehow pretend that you understand it. Havana amuka, deep understanding, will, will, will tap in to that reservoir. That's how you stoke the coals and create the real flame. He says, don't think that this will happen right away. However, Again, like Rav Chaim Velazhin told us, and like Rav Aaron Cutler told us, if we do it consistently, if we are koveya, and we accept the responsibility of learning, and we don't sell ourselves short, eventually I'll finally taste that sweetness. It does come. I can't sit for eight hours. You don't have to sit for eight hours a day. Not everyone was engineered for that. People have different programs. I need to be out doing things. I need to be working with people. I need to be building things and destroying things. Everyone is different. Not every human being was made to sit in the base meadows for 14 hours a day. But we are made to be involved with Torah to some level on a daily basis. And that 45 minutes, that half hour, that 15 minute slot, that could be the engine behind our entire spiritual reality. So it's the anchor of sanity in an insane world. It's the source of comfort nationally that we've held on to. It's been the source of comfort for those individuals who could really learn it and then cling to it. Because through clinging to Torah, like the Ramchal told us, that's our devekis to Hashem. That's how we bind ourselves with the infinite creator of the universe. It's a source of freedom and it's a source of joy. And it all comes from that same kernel. It's transcending. It uplifts me. It takes me away from the mundane. We can never sell ourselves short. I don't have to be like that person, but I need to be umil. I need to toil in Torah, and that could transform me. That requires discipline. 
daily and diligent. I want to leave off with one story. It was towards the end of my year in Eretz Yisrael. It was a Friday morning. Now, Friday mornings were always very, very difficult because Thursday night you went to sleep pretty late. Baruch Hashem, I pulled myself out of bed. I made it to Shacharis, and there were only about six or seven of us there. It was a rough night. So at that point, Rabbi Luban and Rabbi Chait, who were two of the Rosh Yeshiva there, the Yeshiva Chafetz Chaim in Israel, they came into the base Medrash and they said, only a few of you here, we have a special opportunity. We'd like to go visit Rabbi Yehuda Kohn, who was one of the, the, from the previous generation of the old Gedolim, who's living right now in a nursing home. So I was excited. Uh, they told me he only speaks in Hebrew and he speaks kind of softly, but once he gets into it, he gets a little bit more animated. So I'm looking forward to it, a little bit concerned I might not understand him fully. We take a bus, we get to the nursing home, and we're waiting there for a while. And then eventually, this aide walks out, pushing this really, really old man in a wheelchair. And she sits him right in front of us. Remember exactly where we were sitting, the window was over here. And I was thinking to myself, I could barely tell if he's conscious. How in the world is he going to give us a shear? He doesn't know we're sitting here, right? So, basically, at that point, we're waiting, and he's silent. He's not saying anything. Eventually, he starts speaking very, very softly, and we can't hear him. And I'm thinking to myself, oh man, this is going to be rough. However, slowly but surely, he gets a little bit louder. Starts quoting things. He has no svarb in front of him, you know. And he has a contradiction of the Rambam, and I'm trying to follow, and I, I get the question, and he suggests an answer, but then he shows us why the answer is wrong, and Baruch Hashem, I'm following. And then I, I take a step back, and I realize he's a different human being. Five or six minutes into his presentation, he's no longer whispering, he's no longer barely conscious, but he's actually almost like standing up out of his wheelchair and he's screaming. And he's like, and according to Rav Chaim, that's how you answer the Rambam. And it's Beferish in the Gemara Menachos. It's Mamush Beferish. If you read the Rashba correctly, then that's obviously the Rambam meant. And he's Mamush screaming, and I lose total cheshbon, I lose total track of what he was saying because I was so overwhelmed by the transformation of this human being. That's what Torah is. And it's not just for the Gedolim, it's for every single one of us, if we use it well, if we approach it bitsama with a thirst. As we go into Shavuos, we should be Zoha to really think deeply regarding our learning schedule and to be Koveya with discipline and diligence as much as we possibly can. Have a wonderful, meaningful, and joyful Yontif.